2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live
3: weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Brian in once again for Scott. And by the way, welcome to September as well. And trading kicks off with, you guessed it, new record highs for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. So it's mostly rally on for now. But many big names on wall street are starting to sound a little bit nervous so could this finally be as good as it gets for stocks at least for a while will the mega cap names apple amazon microsoft you know the ones continue to do the heavy lifting in this market or discuss and debate all hour long with your investment committee today and that is Kerry firestone jason snipe joe terranova and steven weiss a big hour ahead Let's begin with the markets and your money. The Nasdaq, yep, in the green. Another all-time high fueled by, yep, Apple. By the way, the S&P 500, if you didn't hear it yesterday, we'll tell you again. Coming off seven straight months of gains. That is the first time that has happened since December of 2017. Oh, and by the way, if that's not enough for you, the S&P made 12 new highs in August. That is the most in one month since 1987. More in the macro in moments. But first, we've got some breaking buy news from our own Mr. Terranova, putting some cash to work and buying
4: Netflix. Joe, why? Brian, it's for a trade, but it's for a a trade with a very, very clear and strong tailwind behind it. Netflix, over the last 14 sessions, you've had 13 consecutive higher closes. Now, The pattern that I'm recognizing here is focusing specifically on momentum. And let's not be critical and say, well, oh, momentum just means it's going up. No, it's the velocity of the move that's occurring here over the last 14 days. What it's setting up for is a long awaited breakout above the January 20th high at 593 that ultimately could land this stock somewhere in the six and a quarter to 650 range over the next 60 days. It is the exact same setup that we saw in Amazon, which basically fell asleep from September 2nd of last year until the spring of this year and then finally made that similar type of trade where it breaks out. Now, I know you've got Seinfeld coming on October 1st. Yeah, that's great news. I like that fundamental catalyst as well. But this is really technically uh, motivated for May entry. I think you've got a low risk here point of reference somewhere in the 540-ish level. And you're really going to be playing for six and a quarter, 650. But I got to tell you, from a technical perspective, there is no better chart right now that I can find uh, as it relates to the mega cap technology names.
3: Just quickly before we get to Kerry, so I'm going to ask you, you said it's a trade. You referenced Seinfeld. So yada, yada, yada. How long are you going to hold it?
4: Well, I'm going to hold this trade based on price. If price is getting me into the trade, then price is going to take me out of the trade. If I'm correct we get the breakout above 593, I'm staying. Buy high, sell higher. If we fail and we stall and we go back below that 540 level for extended period of time, mm. that's when I'll begin to acknowledge that I'm wrong. And it won't be the, uh, the first time nor the last. And I'm
3: sure Scott and the gang will will not let you forget it either, Joe. We know how this works. They save all the video. Oh, all right, that,
4: oh that'll, that'll, that'll be high, but that, that's fine. But, Brian, this is a high probability setup. Okay. And, again, just go back and study what happened in Amazon. It is the same exact scenario.
3: There you go. All right, Joe Terranova with a trade on Netflix. But, Carrie, you own, you're not trading it, you own Netflix. Got to imagine you like the fact that Joe is stepping in here.
5: Love that Joe's buying Netflix. So here's why we own it and we have a profit in it. We bought it last year. You, you remember that Netflix was a fantastic COVID stay at home kind of stock. And the this, this stock just moved higher and higher as everybody binge watched everything that they could find. And then in September, when a lot of the things, stocks and tech names began to slip, that's when Netflix began to underperform. It has underperformed for about a year now. And it stopped underperforming on May 13th, again, when many of the tech names began to have a bounce. And you can tell from the NASDAQ 100 and lots of the names that had been sleeping for a while since the reopening trade came into vogue, it began again to start to look better. Now, on a fundamental side, forgetting the technicals, which I agree with, what we're seeing in Netflix is a return to new content. Because people had started a subscription to Netflix didn't mean they could produce more content. And there was so little filming mm-hmm. during the entire of COVID until recently. So now we've got a lot more content. We've got 200 plus million subscribers. They're going to show both better numbers over the next few quarters as you cycle through some of the, the toughest quarters. Uh, in in comparison, and you're going to have more content. They have a subscription model. It is the broadest. They can raise price over time, and we like this in the long term. We definitely think it's going to be in the 600s.
3: Wow, in the 600s for Netflix. By the way, session highs right now. All right, so let's call a little bit of an audible. We'll get to the macro and Mike Santoli in a moment, but let's stay with technology. Joe, you launched the show off perfectly. All right, so Mega Cap Tech, I guess you could throw Netflix in there as well, is on a roll, the FANG Plus Names, They were all up last month. Some, like Apple, you might have heard about, Alphabet, Facebook, all new names trading at all-time highs. The question is, Jason, if if these stocks, for whatever reason, start to roll over, and there's no indication they will, it's not what I'm saying, but given that they're 40% of the NASDAQ 100, four or five stocks, can they continue to do pretty much all the heavy lifting?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, Sully. So obviously, they've done a lot of the heavy lifting, and I think if I look at take a step back and look at where we were, where our focus was last week. Last week, the focus was on Jackson Hole. Jackson Hole, you know, was the Fed Chairman have to say, you know, where are we going from here? Taper timeline, all that jazz. Um, the market liked the comments. You know, he seemed appeared to be dovish there, and continues to you know stimulate and you know continues to be accommodative, you know, from from a stimulus perspective. And when I look at big big cap tech. Obviously, those names will benefit from ongoing stimulus, ongoing accommodative policy. And yes, I think if they do roll over, you know, they represent, as you said, 40 percent of the Nasdaq 100. That could have an impact on the markets. Um, But ultimately, you know, this has been a year of rotation, um, you know, back and forth from value and growth. And I think these names will continue to grow. I think any small dips, you know, even in seasonality and looking at this as the first day of September, um, I think the dips will be bought as we kind of head into the fourth quarter, you know, here in the near term in the next 30 days.
3: Yeah, we're showing Stephen Weiss big tech, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, still going to call it Google. You'll forgive me. And Google's been a name that you have loved forever. It's up 73 percent in 12 months, 73 percent. I don't think their business has gotten 73 percent better. I don't think online ad sales have gotten 73 <laughs> percent better. They don't make much money from the rest of their businesses as well. Is there any thought in that big brain of yours, Weiss, you're thinking, you know what, let's sell it. Made a bunch of money, forget it.
6: Well, look, when, when you talk about what stocks have done, obviously you're talking directionally. And you're also talking relative. And let's just talk relative in terms of the business model. So you had the market, you know, basically I'm talking the economic market, what people are doing, going more online. And guess what? Who's the leading advertiser online? Well, it's Google, and I still call them Google as well. And it's also Facebook. So their business has gotten tremendously better during the uh, COVID. And a lot of those people aren't leaving. They're staying online. The businesses are growing online. I also a company T-Tech, which benefits from that customer experience. So, look, as long as the business keeps getting better, Google is not an expensive stock relative to a lot of other higher-priced uh, technology stocks, not nearly as expensive as Amazon, which I also own. I think that's the place to be. And I would tell you that while Google's been a tremendous outperformer, some of the other larger-cap stocks haven't. And your question was a good one. I think Jason answered it appropriately. But I'll just chime in. We've asked this question so many times over the last five years. If big-cap tech doesn't perform, can the market perform? And the answer has been yes. And that's the answer in the aftermath of the question, seeing the facts as they've turned out. So, yes, could it be a momentary pause? Sure. But yeah. you've got plenty of other stocks like NVIDIA, etc., which I don't own, unfortunately, which have far outperformed those. So, yes, the market But just going. a
3: quick follow-up. You referenced at the top, you said TTEK. Is that T-T-E-K? You talking about Tetra Tech, or is that some company we've never heard of?
6: No, no. That's TTEC, which I've owned for a while. Okay. Chances are, if you're going online, if you're using AWS, for example, they handle the customer experience. What I mean by that is the whole backbone. So it could be the call centers. It could be consulting on your digital presence. It could be helping you design your digital presence. So it's one of those that are the backbone of the internet that you don't often hear about. It's a highly fragmented business, and this is the leading market share Company in the business with take or pay contracts with their average customer having a contract life and existence with the company relation with them for over yeah. 10 years. So you've got this continued subscription model, so to speak, that just makes us a highly, highly qualified company, which I think at some point breaks the company into two parts or maybe even sells.
3: The stock's been flat for about six months, but maybe it'll get the Weiss push here. Let's talk about Microsoft, okay? Because, Joe, we're showing it up on the screen right now. And this is a name up 37% in 12 months. It has basically doubled in a couple of years. I mean, and Satya Nadella is doing a spectacular job up there. By the way, Microsoft Edge is probably the best browser even on a Mac right now. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Good job. Check it out. Um, But, again... (laughs) Are their business prospects 37% better than one year ago? Is the cloud business, which they just talked about on Tech Check, and all the, the margins that may be compressing. It's not commoditized. They would hate that word, but there certainly is a heck of a lot of a competition. Do you ever think about selling Microsoft?
4: No, I don't think you could sell Microsoft at this point or any of these mega cap technology names because the weighting is too large uh, in the indexes overall. So it, you're removing a position that ultimately makes you short that name if you're uh, out of it. Uh, I think what's important to understand is the significant buyback that all these companies have embarked upon over the last couple of years. In the case of Alphabet, in the prior year, they increased their buyback by over 70 percent year on year. $30 billion was bought back in 2020. That's a unique circumstance for Alphabet. They're going to increase that. To 50 billion this year. And oh, by the way, in the most recent quarter, their revenue growth was up 61%. So you're talking about companies that are actually exhibiting the type of revenue growth that's consistent with the performance. I also think, Brian, a lot of the Chinese regulatory pressures have allowed for capital inflows into mega cap technology names. And let's not forget that you have seen a significant pairing back in Treasury yields that has positioned market players towards more defensive names, more bond proxies. More companies where you get buybacks, free cash flow generation, and double-digit revenue growth. And those are the mega cap technology names. So not yeah. thinking about selling them at all.
3: Yeah, and you know, and Jason, I know people are probably think, why is Sully talking about selling? Because if you're a good investor, y- you want to know when to buy, but you also need to know when to sell. We don't talk enough about it on this network about knowing when to sell. Take the profits. You never lose money by taking a profit, yada, 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 all these other Wall Street axioms. You are a huge Microsoft believer, but again, I ask you the same question: At what point you say, "Awesome company," but I've made my money. There's better opportunities elsewhere, or is this a a lifetime holding?
7: Yeah,
1: yeah, Sally. Absolutely, I think sell discipline is so important. But I think Joe makes a great point here in terms of how is Microsoft viewed, you know, from a market standpoint. I think you know, a lot of these big mega cat tech names had have, have become almost defensive names because they're so large, they represent so much of the industry that even, even if you, you know, you had a growth perspective early on, you've been invested in these companies for 10 years or so, you know, in seasonality, when market trends and how things evolve and change, you know, I think they've continued to evolve and grow as, as sentiment has changed. So, you know, 10 years ago, you might not have said market, Microsoft was a defensive company, but now at a two over two trillion dollar market cap it could be viewed as such so it's hard to let go of these names i think they they are staples in your in your portfolio and i think you have to continue to ride with them
3: yeah i think that's something hey, that's so, sort of a, make, a skill we don't talk point. about enough is the time to sell jump in here joe
6: Sorry, that was me i oh, i, Stephen, I, I sorry surprised. about that uh no that's problem that's uh, Look, stocks really trade on expectations, as do markets. Let's talk about stocks. So as long as as the CEO of Microsoft continues to do a good job managing expectations on the street, under-promising and over-delivering, the stocks can go higher regardless of what the valuation is. And if you take a look historically at the stocks that have done the best, that's what managements have been able to do. So I continue to see that happening with Microsoft, so I'm less concerned about valuation. You know, Amazon, which is the name you mentioned before, is kind of interesting because we don't know how the new CEO is going to be able to deal with the street. Bezos wasn't very visible with the street, but we knew what the company would do. So that's that's one that, that's kind of interesting to look here, but I think that's how you got to look at stocks. Do they Do companies do what they say they're going to do? If they do, they deserve to continue to be owned by you.
3: Yeah, you know, that's an excellent point on, on Amazon. And you, you, you look, Kerry, at an Amazon and you think, all right, this has been one of the greatest moneymakers in the history of humanity. However, it was that under the leadership of Jeff Bezos, a man now more concerned about going into space and sort of passing on his legacy to Andy Jassy. <laughs> Jassy ran AWS <laughs> amazingly. That's why he got the CEO job. But do we trust him as the CEO of the entire company? It is basically a giant store. It's a consumer products company and a retailer all rolled into one. Does it make you nervous about a new, untested CEO coming
5: in? Well, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think AWS was an incredible venture that's built itself into one of the largest tech companies if it were on its own in the world. And Jeff Bezos, as many Uh, original CEOs was becoming less involved in the day-to-day operation. And it's unclear to all of us how much he had to do with the day-to-day work of of Amazon, which, as we know, is becoming the dominant consumer Uh brand in the world. You know, we, we can't dismiss it. Um, and, and we own it and we're overweighted. And it's another stock that underperformed for about a year and is beginning to outperform again, we believe. I'd just like to make a point about uh, this. This conversation is very much about the growth names and the fang names. And uh, a few months ago, we might have on the show just been talking about reopening stocks or value stocks or cyclicals. So one of the most interesting things about the market and Vinny, let's pull up that that table It's if you look at what's happened this year, we have gone back and forth through themes and and concepts and sectors, but we're all at the same place right now. The market's up about 20 percent. You can look at the different categories. They're all up about 20 percent, you know, growth, value, cyclical, NASDAQ 100. And that shows there has been this undying and unrelenting interest in equities. People have moved their money, their cash that they had on the sidelines, institutions, individuals. There's a lot of interest in the equity markets and speculative assets. And that may change. We have no idea what's going to make it change. But this is what's sort of driven all of the market in all of these places. And selling, I I think, is sort of a daring thing to do in light of that buying interest.
3: Joe, very quickly, you love the new Amazon. I'm kidding, but kind of. Shopify. You own it in the Joe T as well.
4: I, I do. I think Shopify uh, clearly is one of the leading growth names uh, that investors can be allocating towards. A Canadian-based company that it's uh, able to distribute its service in a capacity not to the scale that Amazon has, but has clearly been able through strong uh, management and leadership to begin to grow the business model to a lesser extent. I think you can also look at Mercado Libre ticker symbol M E L I. Uh, I know Steven in the past is like Jumia, but I think that e-commerce model that Amazon has perfected, uh, there are now other players that are entering that geographically that provide opportunities. For me, Shopify is the one to invest in. All right,
3: good stuff there. All right, let us broaden out the conversation. There are other stocks out there besides big tech, we think. Mm -hmm. Let's bring in Mike Santoli from the New York Stock Exchange. He is looking beyond record highs for any warning signs.
8: Mike, are you seeing it? Yeah. Well, you know, Brian, this is in the category of kind of standing on the bluff, scanning the horizon for any threats that might disturb the calm. It isn't so much that the market itself or even really the economic numbers are giving us reason to say that this kind of consistently strong uptrend is changing. But here's what you want to watch out for, among other things. One would be the credit markets, Uh, often an early warning sign of some macro stress developing. Uh, We're getting into, obviously, the September, which is sometimes a noisy part of the year. You have economic numbers, as I said, decelerating. But so far, while credit spreads have softened up a little bit from record strong levels recently, uh, they've not really flared up to the point where you'd say that it's telling us that the bond market is sniffing out something uh, at all scary. Now, the rotational patterns have been so supportive of this S&P 500 uptrend for uh, all year, going back in. To last year. You've had growth in value, kind of switch off leadership. If you really saw outright defensive recession-type sectors start to perk up, like consumer staples, utilities, just not happening right now. Uh, if you saw some of the breakdowns in that rotation, I think you could start to complain a little bit. By the way, the breath numbers have not been good this summer, but it has not really kind of t- come for the indexes themselves, actually started to get better in the last week or so. I think investor enthusiasm and sentiment is pretty well in check. You've seen a little bit less upside call option speculation relative to people betting or at least hedging some downside. I think it's probably neutral right now, even though people are are very heavily exposed to this market. I don't think tactically they're overaggressive on the upside. And then finally, the Nasdaq. One thing I will notice, just on a tactical basis, Nasdaq's getting stretched. Uh, it's not as bad as it was last September 1st, where it did have a peak relative to the overall market that's lasted till now. But it is pushing the upside of this sort of rally trend that we've been in for a while. So it would make all the sense in the world for there to be some kind of a pause or some payback sometime in September.
3: All right. Good stuff there. Michael Santoli. Thank you very much, Mike. Mike talking earlier with David Faber about peak sort of everything earlier on Squawk on the Street. Let's hit that as well. And Jason, I'll start with you. And by the way, I got to give a shout out. You made a call on Shopify. A couple, I think it was a couple months ago. Stock was like five hundred dollars less. So great call there on shop. But let's talk about the macro market. A few things here. You'll forgive me for reading. Sometimes I got to do that at my advanced age. Bank of America, their sell side indicator is closer now to sell. Goldman, their reopening indicator, bumping back after moderating of under, a moderation of underlying trends. And Tobias Levkovich, who we interviewed last night on the special, saying stock market needs to consolidate. I know earnings have been spectacular. They're real and they're spectacular, Jason. But it seems like some of these big strategists that control a lot of, you know, trading and sell-side analysts, they're starting to get a little bit nervous.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it's important to take a contrarian view. Obviously, when we're all on one side of the ship, you know, that could be concerning. You know, one of the things I, I, I failed to mention earlier, you know, is small cap growth. I mean, small cap growth is up, was up 5.5% last week. I think that's a good indicator of where market sentiment is. Um, but for me, as I look forward, yes, there could be some exogenous events that potentially uh, pull us back from here. I think the market internals, you know, even as we look at breath, as Mike just talked about, you know, we are rotating into the same names. You know, so I, I think there, there could be some concern there, you know, as we move forward. But again, you know, I, I think there, the market is, is, is being supported, um, you know, from an accommodative perspective. And I think it's just really hard to be a bear. You know, in in where things are right now as we we stand.
3: Uh, Yeah, I would add to that, and Joe, and say it's been pretty much impossible. I mean, I think if there were any bearish strategists out there, at least at the big banks, they have been put into, shall we call it, hibernation. But that's kind of the problem. When everybody is positive, you you tend to be nervous. We are seeing some now, the bulls, starting to not be bearish, but certainly saying, look, this indicator is a little bit hot. That indicator is a little bit hot. Are we running maybe a little too hot?
8: Yeah,
4: I, I mean, I almost wish we'd get this correction over with. I yeah. gave you this statistic on Monday. We 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 keep citing, you know, that we haven't had a 5% decline in 10 months. Well, you don't have to go back very far. You go back to 16 and 17. You didn't go down 5% for 20 months. But, you know, let, let's get the correction over with at some point. The correction would involve a lot of the mega cap technology names kind of relaxing and pulling back here uh, i do think a critical indicator towards if you get a correction is going to be treasury yields uh, clearly value which is underperformed growth quarter to date growth's up eight percent for the s p s p value values only up one percent you've got a bump here in the u.s 10-year treasury yield from 1.12 up to 1.32 well i want to see that yield go even higher That would take a lot of the negative-yielding global debt and put it into positive uh, territory. That's a good thing. That means an extension of the equity market appreciation. But, Brian, if we get a pullback in yields, if yields fall back to 1.12, I think you've got a little bit of a problem there for the market. It doesn't look like energy and materials really wants to participate here. So a pullback in yields is going to kind of take away the opportunity for financials, industrials, that value catch up to occur in the market. So to me, that would be a critical indicator towards if this correction is actually gonna unfold. What's the direction of yields?
3: Weiss, your take? You just wanna get it over with? Take the medicine? Oh,
6: actually, you know, I'm gonna put forward a a, a radical thought, which is that the typical corrections that we've seen past years, we're not gonna see as often as we did. I'm not saying there won't be a five or ten percent or even at some point, maybe a twenty percent decline. But because so much more money has gone passive, the top line of the index of the indices seems to hold up fairly well. And we've seen these major corrections five, ten percent, even twenty percent in various sectors underlying the market look at energy look at small cap that's balanced but it corrected take a look technology we've had a series of rolling 10 percent corrections there so there are corrections in the market it's just not in the top line and i think that will continue to be the trend going forward so we all talk about september as being the worst month of the year i'll take it the average decline in september is half of one percent there's no there there there's nothing to do Even if we're down 1% or 2%, what are you going to do? Sell and then trigger taxes. And a lot of strategists don't take taxes into consideration, nor going back in when the market recovers. So for me, ignore the overall market calls. Focus on sectors. Focus on stocks. Ignore small cap, big cap. Stocks and sectors, period. End of story.
3: Taxes, which, by the way, according to some proposals, are likely to go up. And that's something that we also need to consider. People start thinking that's going to happen. Do they take maybe some of that capital gains hit or investment hit or income hit? Now we'll talk about it, I'm sure, on another show. All right. Up next, Mr. Wonderful himself. Kevin O'Leary will join us because he just bought a brand new stock that is up nearly 50% this year. So he's buying when the stock's already up 50%. He just bought it. We'll tell you who it is, and he'll tell you why he bought it. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live anywhere on the go. The CNBC app, markets at record highs. The Russell Two Thousands i up be. We're back right after this.
4: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other
9: LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more.
0: Welcome back to The Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. NBC News is reporting that more than 15 million doses of COVID vaccine have been thrown out in the U.S. That number, according to government data obtained by NBC, while that is less than 4 percent of the vaccine administered to Americans, it is more than previously known and also likely an undercount due to incomplete data. Remnants of Ida still strong enough to flood an apartment complex in Maryland. Take a look. Two people are missing and 150 people have been forced from their homes. In Virginia, about 20 homes were knocked off their foundations. And Grand Isle, Louisiana, drone video there showing the massive damage to homes in the coastal town. Officials say that 100% of homes there were damaged by Hurricane Ida, and about 14% were destroyed. And on the news, getting help for survivors of the hurricane and restoring power to parts of New Orleans. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. And a new report from the United Nations says that weather disasters are now four to five times more frequent than in the 1970s. They're also costing seven times as much, even when adjusted for inflation. On the positive side, fewer people are actually dying in weather disasters. You're now up to date, Brian. Also the best yeah, of you.
3: Lots of love to those folks down there in Grand Isle and other parts of South Louisiana. They had a levee over top. All right, let's switch gears now. The global chip shortage taking its toll on auto sales. Philip Bow here. With some of the latest numbers, and Phil, by the way, I was in Michigan this summer. I passed the Toyota dealership. They had almost no cars in the lot. I thought, well, they went out of business, <laughs> actually stopped in. They just couldn't get any cars to sell. You're not alone. I have see this all the
2: time. And I've had people say to me, you know, I'm interested in going and buying a car, but Doesn't look like there's anything at this particular dealership. That's everywhere. That is the scene at dealerships around the country. When you look at the August sales numbers, it's not that the sales are down because there's not enough demand, even though you're going to see negative numbers from Toyota, Hyundai, and Honda. They just don't have the supply. And as a result, what you're seeing when you actually go into a dealership, if you've bought a car or if you know somebody who has bought a car, um, it's an interesting time to be buying a vehicle. The pace of sales will be 13.1, 13.2 million. For a point of reference, it's usually in August. Closer to 16 million, maybe 16 and a half million, sometimes it even gets up to 17 million. Mm. Toyota, GM, and, and Stellantis, the parent of Jeep and as well as Ram, let's talk about what they're seeing right now. All of them have been impacted by the chip shortage, and why are we pointing out these three? Look, they're the three largest sellers of pickup trucks in this country, the most profitable vehicle out there. This is the bread and butter for these guys. They can't get enough chips to make as many pickup trucks as they would like to make. And then you might want to be asking yourself, or Toyota's not one of the three biggest, Ford, GM, and Stellantis. What about Ford? We will get Ford numbers for August tomorrow, but they're in the same boat with GM and Stellantis in terms of chip production limiting how many pickup trucks that they can build. We've seen a couple of times already in the last month or two where they've had to bring down production at a particular plant for the F-150 for a week, maybe a week and a half, and then they bring it back up. That's just the state of okay. things right now, Brian. It's not going to change anytime soon.
3: Yeah, tough times for a lot of people just trying to sell a car. All right, Phil, stay with us here because joining us on the phone right now is Mr. Wonderful himself, Kevin O'Leary. All right, Kevin, you also have some breaking stock news. Your own GM But you just bought shares of Ford. Tell us why. Yes.
7: Uh, Back in July 9th, while on halftime report, I made some, let's call it disparaging remarks and how frustrated I was with Ford. I had tried to order an F-150. It got delivered missing chips. Uh, As far as I was concerned, it was uninsurable uh, because these things have black boxes in them. And I basically called out uh, Jim Farley, the CEO, saying, how about some executional skills here? And um, he, um, remarkably, and I'm impressed with him, responded immediately by texting me. And today I took delivery of a uh, Ford 150, all chipsets in it. Um, I bought it, no lease. I've been offered three people have already come by to offer me more than I paid for it. Uh, the demand for these vehicles is insane. And but my challenge, you know, to all the Ford executives I've dealt with since July 9th was, you deliver me a truck. Make me a believer, and I'll become a shareholder. So I bought some stock, one-third position, 1.6% of a mandate that's allowed to go up to 5%. And my thesis is this. The demand is insatiable for this brand. All they have to do is execute. So it's back on Farley. I'll buy more stock if he can start delivering. And basically, he's got to squeeze the supplier. He's got to do whatever he has to do. The product has not had any flies on it. The brand is still intact. My investment thesis is, you know, I want the electric truck. Everybody wants the electric truck. They got a brand. Now execute. Go figure it out. Make it happen. Yeah. and You'll get more shareholders. more shareholders.
3: You know, they say that rich people drive nice cars. Really rich people drive pickup trucks. Stick around. <laughs> Kevin O'Leary, uh, Phil LeBeau. Uh, let's talk about that. OK, it's not just I thought when they told me that O'Leary had bought shares of Ford, I thought they were going to say, right, is it because the potential monetization Of Rivian. Rivian, the electric car company, you know very well, by the way, a car that I think is spectacular looking, the R1S, more the SUV than the truck. I may or may not be interested in one. We'll see. Uh, They've got a value proposition there. If Rivian goes public, Ford could suddenly, I guess, print some kind of a nice paper profit off that IPO, could it not? Sure. Absolutely, and we do expect that Rivian
2: is going to be in demand once uh, those vehicles start to come off the production line, which is likely to happen either later this year, early next year. They're going to start a production downstate Illinois. Uh, That's expected to happen sometime in the next few months, Uh, and there's a lot of optimism about Rivian. But getting back to what Mr. Wonderful is talking about with Ford, this has long been the key point that Jim Farley has been hitting at. We've got a strong brand. People love the F-150. We need to deliver and we need to execute. So if he, can, if he can do what he has said they need to do and what Mr. Wonderful is alluding to, yeah, they can go much higher. The question is, will they be able to execute, given this environment with the semiconductor shortages, Brian? Because this is not necessarily a Ford issue. It's an industry issue, especially with COVID-19 impacting so much of the chip supply coming out of Asia right now.
3: Yeah, Weiss, are you a Ford believer?
6: I'm a believer you know, in, in... I, I the, don't really have an issue with... The,
3: Stephen, go ahead. I, I,
6: I, don't have, I, I don't have an issue with Ford at all. Uh, Hardly uh, an endorsement. I hear great things about him.
3: How was the dinner? <laughs> I don't have but, an issue with it.
6: <laughs> I, I well, I don't have an issue with it. I'm not short it, but I'm not long it. I'm playing Volkswagen, which will be the number one seller of electric cars in the world... Maybe next quarter, but definitely next year, number one. They put fifty billion in it, far more than GM, far more than Ford, and they are one of the largest car sellers with the largest market share in China, where others have been unable to succeed. So it's a true global brand that had the vision of electric far before any of the others. So yeah. and it's also dirt cheap at about seven times earnings. Yeah. So that's the one I'm playing. Um, Mm. And you know what? If if the Ford family gave up control of the company, I'd be more inclined to buy Ford. But at the end of the day, Bill Farley answers to the Ford family, including the young Fords that have just been put on the board. So that's what makes me not so crazy about it. One more thing, Brian. I've got so much upside if Volkswagen spins out Porsche, which outsells in terms of growth, Ferrari, with Ferrari at 40 times earnings, and Porsche... Part of owning fifty three percent of Volkswagen again yeah. seven times earnings.
3: Yeah, Phil. Quickly on that, you know, I yeah. just did a five hundred. By the way, it's on cheap plug on CNBC dot com. I did a five hundred mile road trip at a Polestar two. You know, talking about the charging challenges. Right. The take hand ch- charges faster than anybody. You just got to be able to pay two hundred thousand dollars for the privilege. Hmm. Uh, how strong is that demand for the Lightning? And what what are they saying about the charging times and the range?
2: Well, they've already given out a number of what their estimates will be in terms of of the range and the fast charging. I don't have the exact numbers, Brian, in terms of the time, uh, but the range will be there more than what uh, what people are driving uh, on a daily basis. And look, I understand where you're coming from and what you did with your road trip. The fact of the matter is the vast majority of people who have an electric vehicle charge at home. Yes, they but you've got to be able to do drive. Need, your car has to you, be utility
3: 100% of the time, not just 95%. percent you, 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 you got go to want to go to grandma's are, house once in a while.
2: You are, you are correct, Brian, and that's part of where the infrastructure comes in. I do not think it's a uh, it's a, an impediment to the growth of electric vehicles. Not now. Now, that may change in three, four, five years, but not now. I re- yeah. I don't think I've ever come across somebody saying, gee, I would like to buy my electric vehicle, but I can't drive it to Ohio. I mean, they, it, well, I understand what you're saying, but it's, it's not right now it is not stopping people from buying electric.
3: I may or may not have a deposit in on a company we just recently talked about, we, you know, and I did a lot of Midwestern road trips. I did think about it while driving to Michigan back and forth a bunch sure. of times this summer. It's, it's in my head, but it hasn't changed my mind. I'll yeah, just leave see? it at that. Okay. Phil Lebo, Thank you. Kevin O'Leary. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you very much. Take care, my friends. Bye All bye. right. Enjoy that truck. That's a hoss. All right. Don't miss CNBC series Money Court with, you guessed it, Kevin O'Leary. A new episode airs tonight at 10 p.m. The winner of tonight's episode, by the way, gets Kevin's truck. I'm kidding on that. It's not legally binding. All right. We are tracking the trades next. We're going to debate the committee's best and worst. Hold their feet to the fire. Portfolio picks in the last month. And if they're sticking with them or just saying, you know what, go away. And by the way, speaking of stock picks, Do not miss my chat with top-ranked fund manager Amy Zang. That is today online, CNBC Pro, 1.30 p.m. She sent me the list of the names last night, some really cool small-cap picks. That is on CNBC Pro. If you're a member, sign in. If you're not, sign up. We'll see you there at 1.30 as well. We're back right after this.
0: What does it mean to be rich?
3: All right, let's have some fun. Take a look at the investment committee's recent winners and their losers. Just hammer them. Stephen Weiss, we know Moderna, don't talk about it again, has been a home run. But for you, let's talk about Valle, the Brazilian mining company, down 9%. You finally gave up on it.
6: Yeah, that's downplaying Moderna, calling it only a home run, Brian. So, so Valet, here's the story. Look, look, China has uh, has cut back on on steel production. Iron ore goes into that. Being a non US company, they're doing more business with China in terms of iron ore. They also cut back on their production forecast. But I've got enough, it was a core position. It has been disappointing. It's got a monster yield, but I've got enough exposure with Cleveland Cliffs. Flyer Jim's name, that uh, that I'm sticking with that one. That's fully okay. integrated. Steel producer, domestic, I like it better.
3: There you go. All right, Kerry, Charter Communications, one of your August winners. Peloton, your August loser. What are you doing with either, both, whatever?
5: Yeah, well, Charter Cable Company, obviously big growth and Wi-Fi connectivity, work from home, etc., and they are not producing content. They don't seem to be uh, wanting into the content streaming business. We think that's good. Yes, we think it can can continue to go higher. Uh, Peloton, uh, we actually are right at our cost here. We bought it when it was down. We bought it more at 84. We think it's the number one brand when it comes to sort of fitness and connectivity as an app. It's fantastic. They're going to move forward with subs. We think they'll be at 10 million in a few years. And yeah, we think it's a great buy here.
3: All right. Let's move on Jason. Your big winner so far this year. Nvidia up 71%. Nice. Colgate, completely different type of company, has lagged down 9%. What are you doing?
1: Yeah. So for me obviously Nvidia's huge home run. I mean, they're up 200% in the last 18 months. So holding on there, you know, probably will likely have to trim at some point just from a portfolio management standpoint. Colgate, I mean, that's on their dividend players. Um obviously hasn't done as well you know, with the dollar and all that's kind of going on overseas. So um, that, that one we'll, we'll continue to hold. That's just kind of in our dividend growth portfolio. So we'll hold that from here.
3: OK, Joe, Fortinet was your winner for August, up 16 percent. Nice. Lamb Research, though, weird, down 5 percent. Every other semiconductor has been red hot. What the heck's going on with Lamb?
4: Well, Lamb Research has uh, been the one semiconductor where you've had outperformance over the last 18 months, so it's a little bit of mean reversion. I would say Lamb Research is in the perfect spot to buy here, uh, sitting right above the 200-day moving average and a nice support level. Uh, Fortinet, that's been a clear winner. Cybersecurity is a favorite theme of mine. I will say, though, CrowdStrike and their earnings report is a classic example Uh, of a stock in which not only do you have to beat expectations, but you have to beat the best expectations. So given the performance of CrowdStrike here, pulling back a little, I'm long personally CrowdStrike. I would expect cybersecurity, both Fortinet and CrowdStrike, to have a little bit of a modest correction here. But I'm not going to be getting out of either. It's just uh, a moderation of expectations.
3: All right, guys, thank you very much. All right, Ask Halftime is coming up right after this short break. Markets at record highs. All right, welcome back. Time now to let the investment committee answer some of your questions. First up is Sylvan, all the way from Switzerland, says, I hold SPGI and MCO as core forever holdings. Should I add at the current level any preference between the two, Carrie Firestone?
5: Oh, well, we like SPGI. They're about to close uh, the info acquisition with IHS uh, Market and Think about what's going on with indices, ESG, enormous SRI, enormous new markets of growth for S&P Global. And who knows what might happen with cryptocurrencies and indexing them. So we see this as a long runway, very steady growth. And yes, we, we believe in that one. So I, I would definitely own it.
3: OK. Jessica in Florida asked this it's to you, Jason. What do you think about MGM Resorts, I guess she means the stock, not like, you know, vacation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like I like MGM here. I, you know, I think they're kind of the return to normalcy. They have played fair, fairly well in kind of the cyclical rechazement and some of the other concedo names. So I like the iGaming, bet MGM, you know, their sports betting function. So I think they're, they're an opportunity here. Still up 34% year-to-date, but I think they're still continued runway.
3: Okay. That's it. That's all we have time for. By the way, thanks, everybody, for sending in their questions, especially Sylvan, all the way from Switzerland. It's amazing what technology can do. Final trades next on Happen. right, got to take a look at Netflix. At session, highs up more than 3%. Joe Terranova, you just bought it. You talked it up. It looks like the market's responding.
4: It's a trade that hopefully uh, I'll be in for a very long time, and it breaks out above its previous high. All right. Good stuff there. All right. Time now for
3: your final trades. And we'll start with you, Joe. And don't say Netflix. I mean, you can.
4: Well, unfortunately, (laughs) I have to address what's going on with with AbbVie, the FDA uh, issuing today a very unexpected label warning for AbbVie. Impacting their rheumatoid arthritis drug. Understand that's 12% of their overall sales. So it's a big problem for AV. Okay. I'll probably sell at least half here wow. and hope that sale is a bad sale. Selling discipline. Kerry, your final trade.
5: Wabtec infrastructure, rail cars, rapid transit. Cheap, cheap stock here.
3: You go, Erie, Pennsylvania. All right, Jason? United Healthcare, I think
1: there's opportunity for margin expansion in their Optum and uh, managed care
3: business. And Stephen Weiss, final trade. Freeport, the,
6: it started to reverse back higher. Volume in the commodities picked up, I think, goes back to the old highs.
3: Yeah, you're going heavy in these commodities. You talked about Cleveland Cliffs, really an iron ore miner and some other business. Now, Freeport mcmoran I'm going to call you Heavy Metal Weiss. Show's so next there you up go. That's Ozzie's what I've been known as, Brian. How'd you know? Guys, thank you. All right. That does <laughs> it for us. The Exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live
2: weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
9: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours
7: today.